So what I want to talk about this morning is a subject that, as far as I can remember, I've never actually talked about before, and that is fear. And in particular, what it means for us as Christians to live lives that are free from fear. Now, of course, fear comes in many different shapes and sizes. It includes anxiety and stress and worry and various kinds of phobias. And most of us, if we're honest, will admit that we experience fear in some way, at least some of the time. For some of us, it actually goes beyond just kind of day-to-day worries, and it's actually a medical condition as well. And just as we can experience physical health issues that are some big and some small, then the same can be true with fears and phobias and anxieties as well. So when, as Christians, we talk about fear, we mustn't take the subject lightly and just throw Bible verses at people in a kind of naive way. We should never say things like, stop taking the medicine and just have faith. We never say, claim your healing, because none of that is faith, it's just reckless. Now, if a doctor says, stop taking the medicine because there's been a a dramatic change in your condition, there's been a, a healing in some way, then that's great. That's obviously what we want to see. But we never put having faith in competition with the medical profession or put the Bible in competition with the medical profession. It says in Romans 8.28 that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him. So we need to allow him to do that in whatever ways he wishes. But once all of that is said, we do believe in a supernatural God who cares about our mental health just as much as he cares about our physical health and our spiritual health. And that he has empowered us and commissioned us to pray and to invite the kingdom to come in people's lives and situations and to bring healing and restoration and deliverance in all kinds of ways from all kinds of enemies of human life and flourishing. And that includes in mental health just as much as physical health. So fears come in many shapes and sizes. I found a website that listed 100 different phobias, and those were just the top 100. Can anyone guess what phobia number one is? Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders, which apparently affects women four times more than men. About half of women are afraid of spiders, so we better take it off the screen quickly. Sorry, ladies. We get our English word phobia from the New Testament Greek word for fear, which is phobos. And many of our words to describe certain kinds of fears also come from the Greek. Agoraphobia, which is number four on the list, is fear of open spaces. And that comes from the Greek word for marketplace, agora. Xenophobia, number 27, comes from the Greek word xenos, meaning stranger. So it's the fear of strangers or foreigners. Ergophobia, I like this one. Ergophobia is 87 on the list, and that comes from ergon, the fear of work. (laughs) Anyone ever experienced that? But, But actually what it means is not so much in a laziness sense, but more about anxiety in coping with our job. 
And then there's uh, disposophobia, which is 92 on the list, and that's the fear of getting rid of anything, the fear of disposing of anything, which is what makes people become hoarders. Some of the most common phobias include fear of failure. What if I make a mistake? Fear of rejection. Will they go off me? Fear of loss. Will I lose my looks or my health or my friends or my job or my money? Fear of change and fear of the future. And there's also the one that Matt Hyam told us about when he came to speak a, a while back. Hippopotomonstrosequipipedaliophobia. Which, believe it or not, and you couldn't make this up, is the fear of long words. There is actually another word for fear of long words, and that's sesquipedalophobia. So I suggest we just use that one instead. <laughs> By the way, there's also one called um, fear of women. But I was too scared to mention that one. <laughs> Now, our word fear comes from an old English word meaning calamity or danger, and also a German word, gefahr, which also means danger. So there's clearly a sense in which some of our fears are good and well-founded. When we have a, a sense of fear about something that could harm us or something that is dangerous, like putting our hand in the fire or driving too fast or doing something that could put us in prison, or getting too close to the edge of a cliff. All of these are good fears, aren't they? And then there's another meaning for the word fear as well, which is more old-fashioned, and that comes from a religious context, the fear of the Lord, or fear of God, which means having a sense of reverence and awe, not a fear in the sense of being afraid of, or being scared of. And this comes from the Latin word from which we get our word revere and reverence. So that's another good kind of fear that we'll come back to in a bit. Now one of the things that complicates how we understand fear and how we deal with fear is that it comes to us in several different ways. Sometimes it's based in something that's actual and real. But sometimes it's based in our imagination. That doesn't mean that the fear isn't real. We just need to see the difference between the sources. In terms of the things that we fear, some of them are external to us. Our fears relate to things that are out there. Some are internal. They relate to things that are inside us, in here. And some are interpersonal. In other words, they're between us and other people. Fears about things that are external include fear of the unknown, the future, unemployment, sickness, war, dogs, spiders, snakes, and even Brexit and the economy. Fears about things that are internal include fear of failure, inadequacy, insecurity, being exposed, being shamed, and just being insignificant. And fears about things that are interpersonal include fears in my relationships, fear of experiencing a broken relationship, what people might think of me, 
their disapproval or their rejection, being ridiculed or embarrassed, not knowing what to do or what to say in a situation, or having no friends or losing my friends. Fear can grip us when we have something already and we're afraid of losing it, and also when we don't have something. And our fear then is that we won't be able to get it. Money, success, love, relationships, and so on. And one of the problems with fear is that there's a danger that it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. As a character called Job said in the Old Testament, Job 3.25, what I feared has come upon me, what I dreaded has happened to me. And I don't know, you may have heard people say something like that. But this verse was not God speaking, and nor is it God's way to do that. Because at best, that is superstition. And at worst, it's a curse for us to think like that. Either way, we need to be freed from that and delivered from that, because it is not from God. In terms of what fear can do to us, it can affect us physically. People talk about being sick with fear, nervous tension, insomnia, headaches, sweating and shaking. It can affect us psychologically, depression, loss of confidence, shame, withdrawal. And it can affect us spiritually. We question our relationship with God, whether he loves us, why he's letting this happen to us, and we feel like failure ourselves as a Christian. So that's the background to what we're talking about when we talk about fear. It's very broad, it's very deep, and it's very wide-ranging. So now let's turn our attention to having a look at what the Bible has to say when it talks about fear. And if you know your Bibles at all or you've ever looked into this yourself, you'll probably realise that the Bible reflects all of these meanings of fear that we've just identified. Obviously, the biblical writers didn't have the medical vocabulary to talk about the mental health aspects of fear, the anxieties and the phobias that we're aware of today. So we don't really see it talked about in those terms. But what they most certainly did have was the spiritual vocabulary to talk about the spiritual battle that is going on that we are a part of. And that's an additional aspect to fear that we need to recognise and we'll come on to in a moment. So how as Christians do we deal with fear in our own lives? What does the Bible have to say about fear? And how especially do we get ourselves free from the wrong kinds of fear? These are the things that I want us to look at this morning. I want to suggest to you five key biblical truths that if we meditate on them and allow them to become part of us, will revolutionise how we think about fear and how we handle fear when it comes knocking on our door. Not just reading about a list of truths, but committing ourselves to doing them, to putting them into practice. Because that, of course, is why God gave us the Bible in the first place, so that we hear right and then we live right and do right. In the New Testament, James chapter 1, he says, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. 
Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Okay, so five key biblical truths. And you need to fasten your metaphorical seatbelts because we're going to do a whistle-stop tour around the Bible. The first one is a fear that is not only healthy for us to have, but we also need to have because it's the starting point for defeating every other kind of fear in our lives. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, some of us may have been brought up to fear God in, a, in an unhealthy sense, rather like some children fear their earthly father in an unhealthy sense. And this is not good. Because what fearing God means is to honour him, to respect him, to revere him, and to always be in awe of him. It means not taking him for granted, speaking about him intimately, yes, but flippantly, no. It means remembering who he is in relation to who we are. You know, sometimes I think that some of us would be more respectful to the Queen if she came one week than we are of Almighty God who comes every week. God is not my mate and I shouldn't speak of him in those terms. The big man upstairs, which some people call him, is not language that I personally would use. And, and this way of fearing God is not just an Old Testament idea. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, which is with reverence and awe. So it's a kingdom idea and it's telling us something about our worship as well. You probably know that the so-called fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 is describing the kind of fruit that the Holy Spirit brings into our life when we become a Christian. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the reason that the Holy Spirit is bringing those features into our life is because he's bringing himself into our life. He's bringing the presence of God into our life. So Galatians 5 is describing what God is like. Loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and even self-controlled. This is not describing a kind of God that we may wrongly have been taught to be afraid of or even terrified of. Now, I'm sad to say that some church traditions do talk about him in that way, as if he is a God who is out to get us and who is always on the edge of being angry with us. But you know, our God is not a God who is defined by wrath and by anger. He's a God who is defined by love and compassion. He's a God who, when we realise what he's really like, we can only fall more and more in love with. And actually that's why his anger does burn against those who do evil and who harm people. Because they are not imitating him when they do that. They're imitating the devil. 
because his love means that God is on the side of the victims of evil. So those who choose to be on the other side should definitely fear him in another way. Because one day his love means that he will make sure that the victims get the justice they deserve. That is a divine promise. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. In other words, fearing God means being for what God is for and against what God is against. It's aligning ourselves with who God is and what he's like. A God of love and compassion and mercy and justice. The second key biblical truth is another way that the Bible talks about fear. And this time it's not in a good sense. It's having a spirit of fear that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 1.7. He says to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now we don't know whether Paul here has in mind a spirit in the evil spirit sense or he's just talking about it in an atmosphere uh, in which we live sense, a way that we think that ends up controlling our actions, living our lives in a spirit of fear. Either way though, it is not good and it is not God. It's perfectly possible that if we do feel compelled by fear, then an evil spirit may be part of the problem, in which case it's easy to deal with through prayer. So talk to somebody you trust if you think that might be the case. It's not something that we just need to put up with, because as, as Paul says here, to have a spirit of fear is not our destiny as Christians. Our destiny is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, who brings with him power and love and self-control. And that brings us on to our third key truth. We saw earlier what kinds of things fear can do to people. Fear is one of the enemies of human life and human flourishing. Fear traps people and oppresses people and does harm to people. So fear is one of the weapons that Satan uses in his agenda to try to harm people and destroy people and to harm and destroy our relationship with God and our understanding of God. So we need to wake up and be wise about this, that we are in a spiritual battle and that fear is one of the battlegrounds in which this spiritual warfare is taking place. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now that doesn't mean that we should get all afraid of Satan and start being trapped by a fear of him. In 1 John 4, John is talking about the spiritual forces that are set against us and he says this, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, past tense. Because the one who is in you, present tense, is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in us 
is, of course, the Holy Spirit. And through Jesus' victory on the cross, Satan and his demons have already been overcome, past tense. And and just to make that clear, James 4 says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then we have that famous and wonderful promise that we so often like to remember when we begin our worship times. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is all part of the package. Number four, just one to go after this. Now, you may have noted a bit of a recurring theme in the stuff that I've been saying this morning about how the answer so often seems to be something to do with the presence of God in our lives, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is exemplified in this next biblical truth that we're going to look at. This is from 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives away fear. And the perfect love that he's talking about is the only perfect love that exists, the love of Jesus, the love that he has for us. So if we invite and receive Jesus into our lives, we are inviting and receiving his perfect love into our lives because he brings that perfect love with him. And what happens when when he does, when we immerse ourselves in his love, when we give ourselves to that love, all of the wrong kinds of fears will be driven away. The fear is cast out and the love of God takes its place. And of course, that's not just love for us to enjoy and get all self-absorbed with and all selfish about. It's also love for us to give away. Because the more we give away, the more room there is for us to receive more. More of Jesus, more of his presence, and more of his blessing. John Wimber, who was one of the main founders of the vineyard, he said, we don't seek the power of God We seek the presence of God because his power and everything else we need is found in his presence. And then finally, number five, this is 2 Corinthians 10.5. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now we said at the beginning that some of our fears are based in what's real and some of them are based in our imagination. That doesn't mean that the fears aren't real, but they're often about things that aren't real. Fears about the future. Fears about what could happen or might happen. Fears that what we fear will come about. So what happens is that we allow thoughts and doubts and worries to come in and take control. So we need to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Instead of us being the captives to thoughts that are not from God, we need to take them captive and bring them in line with the truth about God and how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. Because he wants to be the one in control of our lives and not have fear be in control. So let's have a look at that verse in its context. The weapons that we fight with in this spiritual battle 
are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Every pretentious idea, every pretend idea that Satan wants to get us to buy into and to allow to take root that sets itself up in opposition to the truth about God in our lives. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what that means in practice is that we have to make a conscious decision to not allow these thoughts that are not of God to take root in our minds and in our imagination. We have to reject them. We have to say no to them and resist them. No, I'm not going to allow fears to take root as if they were real. To allow lies to take root as if they were truth. I'm not going to be a captive to these lies and these fears. I'm going to take them captive instead. And you know, the the reason that we can do that, it's not just by uh, willpower or mental strength, but because Ephesians 4.8 tells us that when the resurrected Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He led captivity captive. In other words, through his victory on the cross, he took captivity itself into captivity. Everything that would enslave us and control us, Jesus took captive. So we, therefore, can take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ because the risen Jesus has already taken captive everything that would capture us. So let's finish with another key truth about God that we very much need to believe and to trust instead of the lies and the doubts and the fears that Satan would try to sell us. To fill our minds with this instead and maybe even try and memorise it. It's from Romans 8 where Paul says this. I am convinced, and folks, we also need to be convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tell me later if you can see anything on the list here that Paul has left out. Because I can't. So why don't we finish with a a final quick look at these five biblical truths. And as we do that, Mike, maybe you could come back if you're here somewhere. Yes, good, thanks. Number one, the fear of the Lord is good and it's the foundation for the rest. So let's worship him in reverence and awe, setting our hearts on the things he loves and against the things that he hates. Number two, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. To be controlled by a spirit of fear is not our destiny. So we need to be delivered from that and released from that. 
Number three, our enemy the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we need to be wise about that and realize we're in a spiritual battle. But we don't need to be petrified of him. Because if we've invited Jesus into our life, then the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. James 4 says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Number four, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives away fear. Perfect love is found in Jesus and his perfect love for us. So we need to fill our lives with his love for us and start giving it away so that there is room for more. And finally, number five, we need to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. To make a conscious decision not to allow thoughts that are not of God to take root in our minds and our imagination and bear the wrong kind of fruit in our lives. The risen Jesus led captivity itself captive. So we need to allow that to happen in our lives. And if we're putting these truths into practice, then I do believe that we can have confidence and assurance that this next scripture will increasingly become true for us. It's from Isaiah chapter 41. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You will look in vain for those who tried to conquer you. Those who attack you will come to nothing. For I hold you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God. And I say to you, do not be afraid. I am here to help you. So why don't we give the Holy Spirit some opportunity this morning to do just that for us now.